So welcome back everyone to episode 8 of That UFO Podcast and as I announced a few weeks ago, tonight's guest I'm very excited to speak to one of the cast, one of the stars of The Curse of Skinwalker Ranch or The Secret of Skinwalker Ranch if you're in the USA. It's The Curse of Skinwalker Ranch in the UK. Uh, we have Thomas Winterton, Superintendent of the Ranch. Thomas, how are you? I'm great. Yeah, thanks awesome. for having me on. No, it's an absolute pleasure. You're someone that's uh, straight away got a lot of interest in and a lot of people sending over questions, which I've got uh, to read out kind of later on in the show. Um, you've become a bit of a, a celebrity in the last year, at least, uh, with the, the History Channel show taking off. How, how's that been? Has it been a bit of a weird experience or are you kind of used to it now? Yeah, and um, you know what? It's been a little bit of a roller coaster simply because um, I'm a businessman by trade. I own a couple of the businesses. I live in a very small town. I mean, I live 15 minutes from the ranch. So as the viewers can see, we live in a very remote part of uh, Utah, more more cows than people. And uh, and so this newfound, I guess we'll say celebrity, uh, this attention has definitely been something that I'm having to get used to. But it's fun to go in a store and have people want your autograph or want to take a picture with you. That that's kind of cool. Um, I, I like that, but, um, it, it definitely is taking some adjustment. I'm a private person. Uh, I've never been one that shared a lot on social media. Uh, I, you know, I, I like my privacy. So there are some adjustments that come with the newfound recognition, but overall I'm, I'm happy and it, it's good. Awesome. Well, it's great to hear your voice uh, doing a few different interviews out there. I listened to a few in research in this podcast and I've heard you on a few things anyway. And of course, the last couple of months I've been catching up uh, with the, the series. Um, I started watching it when it was on in the U- US originally, just uh, via via means online because it came on a little bit later here in the UK and I wanted to kind of watch it straight away. But I've been catching up with it while it's been on here as well. So it's been great. What I want to start off with is something I heard quite recently on an interview you've done previously. Now, we're going to talk a lot about Skinwalker Ranch and everything that comes with that. But you've had your own UFO sighting when you were younger. And I just wanted to hear a little bit about that from you, Thomas. Okay, so uh, you'd like to know about my UFO sighting when I was a when I was a child. Yes. Yeah, you know, unfortunately, it really was pretty um, anticlimactic. I I was uh, when I was growing up, there was an old oil refinery that was out on the west side of town, and and my window in my bedroom overlooked that, and I was up late. I mean, it was late for a kid. It was probably like eleven or twelve at night. And I looked out the window and I saw this big, gorgeous, beautiful orange moon just out there on the horizon above the the refinery. I mean, it looked identical to the moon, um, but it I mean, it was just gorgeous. And it was just out there hovering. But it wasn't a full moon. It was like it was like a half moon. But it, instead of it, it was like on its it was scooped kind of like a bowl, I guess, sitting there out on on the horizon. And uh, it it was Big enough and beautiful enough that I it definitely caught my attention. I looked at it, I thought, wow. But then I went about my business and and could, I don't remember if I was cleaning up my room or what I was doing. But when I finished, I uh, looked back out the window to see if I could get one more look at the moon before I went to bed, and it wasn't there. And it was low enough on the horizon, like it it was just out there, kind of above the refinery, that I just assumed that it had dropped over the horizon or you know it was just out of sight. 
and didn't think anything else of it. And the next morning when I got up, I was telling my mom, um, you know, I got up and I was like, man, you should have saw the moon last night. It was so beautiful. And my mom said, I don't think there was a moon last night. Oh, yeah, there was. I saw it. It was above the refinery. And uh, so we we had a calendar, you know, hanging there close and we looked at it and it was actually that night there was not a moon. So I don't know what I saw out there hanging above the refinery, but it definitely was not the moon. And that was my first uh, time of seeing an unidentified object. I have no idea what it was, but uh, definitely not scary. I, it was it was just big and beautiful and unknown. No, that's amazing. And was that in the same sort of area that you live now, or had you relocated since? Yeah. So uh, I, I haven't gone far in life. Um, I live... I actually live just across the field from where I grew up. So I, I live about 40 acres away from uh, where my childhood home was. And uh, the whole Una Basin has been a very big hotbed of UFO sightings and objects. And anyone that's lived here for a number of years, um, you'll find that there's a high percentage of people that have their own stories to share of, of uh, unidentified objects up in the air. And we've heard many of those over the years, and obviously it's came to a point where Skinwalker Ranch, it's, it's grown arms and legs uh, over, over the time with its myth and its history, and it's now culminated in a Series 1 and soon-to-be Series 2 of a, a very, very popular show. So something uh, one of the guest, uh, listeners sorry, had asked, uh, what exactly is your kind of educational background? So as a child, you've had this UFO sighting. You then go to school, college, whatever, and you have a career path that's led you to where you are now. Can you just tell us a little bit about that? Sure, absolutely. Um, so I'm kind of, uh, I've got my fingers into a lot of different areas. Uh, my, I started off uh, in construction. So I went to college for construction management. So I got my contractor's license when I was like 23. And, you know, the requirements for contractor's license varies even across the United States. Different states have different requirements. And so in some states, that's not a very big deal. But in Utah, um, it actually takes a lot of work, and uh, it, it takes at least four years before a person can get their contractor's license. It's, it's kind of the equivalent of having a bachelor's degree in some ways because you have to work four years full-time under a licensed contractor. You have to take several state tests and pass them in order to get this. So for me, it was a big achievement to be able to get this at, tw at the age of 23, and then I started building um, I didn't just want to build any homes. I wanted to build the biggest, best homes. And and uh, if I'm not challenged, I'm not happy. So I uh, I quickly got into high-end custom homes. We were doing uh, very large homes, eight, nine, ten thousand square foot homes. And um, and so that's really what kind of got me into the ranch was uh, 2008 when we had a recession here in the United States and I think it was pretty much worldwide construction became very hard because people couldn't get loans and especially the clients that I was specifically dealing with uh, high-end homes that were you know costing hundreds of thousands of dollars millions of dollars uh, these took jumbo loans and those went away and so my wife and I built uh, a couple small motels we decided we needed a plan B and uh, as the viewers may or may not see on the series, we live in an area where there's a lot of oil wells. Sometimes if, like when they'll pan the shot, if you look out in the distance around the ranch, you'll see a lot of oil wells that are out there. Um, we got a lot of oil under the Una Basin. And um, 
<clears throat> and so we decided to build these little motels and we specialize in high end. We are a little boutique hotel. We our rooms were extremely luxurious and nice and we catered to the the upper end oil field guys. Um, you know, the engineers and the geologists and that. And when Brandon bought the ranch, uh, he sent Jim Morse, who's the ranch manager, out. And this was really the first weekend that Jim had come out and Brandon had said, you know, go see if you can wrap your arms around what exactly we just picked up. And so Jim came out here and he was going through town and he actually ended up stopping and staying at my little motel that I'd built. And we got visiting and the next day when he was checking out, uh, he, we were just talking and I'd mentioned that I'd built the hotel myself and that I was a contractor. And he said, oh, well, we just bought Skinwalker Ranch. I don't know if you've ever heard of it. And, uh, of course, living in the basin, you know, the, the ranch is famous around here. I, when, uh, when Mr. Bigelow had it and the Shermans, right as they were transitioning between the Sherman family and Mr. Bigelow was when I was in high school. And so it was kind of the height of all this activity that was taking place. And, uh, and so, you know, in high school, we tried to sneak out there as kids and, and try to sneak onto the property. And so when Jim said, uh, Skinwalker Ranch, I immediately had my, he had my interest and he said, you know, being a contractor, would you be willing to come out and do a property inspection for us? There's a, there's an old ranch house there. There's a modular home that's sitting there. And we just don't have any idea, you know, what kind of condition everything is in. So I went and did a property inspection for them there. We found the property to be in a state of disrepair. Um, it appears that Mr. Bigelow had not spent any money on it for several years and had let it kind of fall into disrepair. And so I immediately made a list up and, and Brandon asked me to go in and, and start to fix things and upgrade things. And after about a month four or five weeks. I, I hit it off with Brandon instantly. We have a lot in common. He asked me if I would stay on and be the superintendent of the ranch and just kind of oversee it where I live close. Um, you know, a lot of the ranch team lives out on the, in Salt Lake area, which is a couple hours away. And so because of my close proximity and because of my background in construction, it kind of made it a perfect, uh, position for me. And so I oversee all of the facilities. I've upgraded it. Uh, the command center, the control room that you see with all the TVs on the show, um, that was Eric Bard and I designed that together. And then I, I built that and uh, did all the construction on it. And so the, the helipad, um, we've upgraded a lot of the facilities. The front gate has been upgraded. Um, and so I oversee... I, uh, I oversee all the facilities. I also, my responsibilities are also include, um, like anytime we add cameras or scientific instrumentation, it's my job to get all of the infrastructure over there. So I'm, I'm in charge of making sure we have power and internet, um, any physical, uh, amenities that are needed to make that work. It's my job to make sure that we have those. And then I also arrange for the grazing and take care of the ranch as far as the making sure that the land's cared for, that it's getting watered. And, uh, and then I, uh, my dad is a state Senator here in Utah and uh, I've been heavily involved in politics. I've ran all of his campaigns. I've been a campaign manager. And so, um, I also do a lot of the public relations outreach as far as, um, anytime we have issues that 
need coordinated with the local government uh, officials, I am the one that usually reaches out and takes care of those. So that's my responsibilities in a nutshell. The kind of my background that got me into that was my construction management, and then you know my uh, my my side job of being campaign manager and being involved in politics. So you know, it got my fingers in a lot of things. I was going to say, and um, you have not even mentioned, I believe, your CEO of your wife's company as well, which deals in a lot of meditational um, therapies. Is that right, too? Yeah. So <laughs> I actually have a film production company, and then we have this, uh, <laughs> we have uh, Residence Meditations, which, um, you know, when when it looked like we were going to start filming this last summer, I, we actually ended up selling our motels. It was just, it was too much too many irons in the fire. And so um, I stepped away from the film production company, which our focus there, people hear that and they think, oh, well, that's why you guys are doing a film out there on the ranch. It had absolutely nothing to do with that. We actually do family documentaries. So we're about capturing people's life stories and, and putting them into movies. So I stepped away from that and I stepped away from the motel. And uh, really my wife's, my wife's company that we've started, this meditation company is um, that's, that's my whole focus. So the ranch is something that I enjoy doing and I, I work out there every week. It, it is a job, you know, I, I spend at least 30 or 40 hours a week on the ranch, but my main focus is this meditation company of my wife's and, uh, and we're, we're having amazing results with it and changing lives. And for me, that's what it's all about is, is trying to improve the human race. So. Absolutely. And I would recommend the links are on your Twitter bio as well for as resonance meditation. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. And it's on uh, check out. Yeah. I encourage, uh, it, it's amazing. And w I won't take much of your time here because, uh, it's an, another issue, but I encourage people to look into it because, uh, it's going to change the world. It's, it's not just a typical meditation. So no, absolutely. Please, please check that out as well. I know we'll have a lot of listeners interested in those, those sorts of topics too. So, um, I just want to double back a little bit. So you talked about what you've grown up in that area. So you know about Skinwalker Ranch. What, what was your own personal knowledge of the ranch, its history, the myths surrounding it? What was your view of the ranch growing up in the area? So um, I've never, even to this day, I've never watched a single one of the documentaries on it. I've never read any of the books. My knowledge of Skinwalker Ranch growing up here was based solely on a lot of the rumors and stories that are going around at church or at school in the, in the local newspapers. I haven't seen any of the movies. I haven't read any of the books. Um, and going on to the ranch, uh, you know, my excitement for being able to go on the ranch, and I was excited when Jim offered me the chance because here's this mysterious place that nobody else gets to go on. It was kind of the notoriety, the, you know, the ability to go do something that m most people were not able to. But as far as my personal beliefs in it, um, you know, the whole paranormal stuff, the skinwalker, all these orbs, all the things that have been talked about. I didn't believe in it. Um, I I just thought it was people's imaginations running wild. And, you know, part of the problem in the UFO world and the paranormal world is we have a lot of claims and have very little evidence to back it up. Um, I'm just supposed to take your word that that hairy thing on the on your screen is not a dust ball, but rather, you know, some type of object up in the sky so um you know it's amazing as far as technologically advanced as we are we still can't seem to get a clear picture of something you know they're all grainy and, and fuzzy 
I think you could call me. I was a very healthy skeptic, and uh, I don't. I didn't believe in a lot of it. That was that was really my viewpoint coming onto the ranch. Is I'd heard the stories, I didn't believe the stories, and I didn't think there was anything to it other than just a bunch of uh, imaginations running wild. So you touched on uh, the first time you met Brandon Fugel. Um, so I've just started with um, one of the kind of. If you're if you're not huge on social media like normally like some of us are, then uh, and I don't mean huge in a celebrity way. You are, you <laughs> you've got far more celebrity than I do, God. Um, but one of the guys on Twitter, uh, Dan at the Signal, he's been really prolific in the UFO community for quite a while. He's based in Wales, and himself and myself, um, just in talking about the Skinwalker Ranch series, decided, you know what? While I've started up this podcast, I'd love to try something different and do a bit of a watch along. So me and Dan have started basically dropping episodes where we watch the series one episode at a time um, and just talk about it, give our thoughts, digress on it, you know, just kind of go off on all kind of different tangents. Um, And we compared in the first episode Brandon Fugel to Bruce Wayne, particularly when he first meets Travis and they drive in that car down the, you know, the highway. And it's just like he's in this suit, you know, he just couldn't look any sharper. And if he did have a superhero costume lying across the back seat, you wouldn't be surprised. But yeah, it, would would that be fair? And what was it like meeting Brandon Fugel for that first time? And, you know, what was the kind of conversation? Yeah. So <clears throat> when I met Brandon Fugel for the first time, Jim Morse took me. I drove out to Salt Lake and Jim Morse t- took me into Brandon's office. And um, Brandon. So Brandon's the largest commercial real estate broker in the Intermountain West. He's his name is everywhere. And, and you got to understand that uh, for your viewers that are over there, you know, across the pond, the Brandon advertise Brandon is big. He's splashy. He is one of the best salesmen I've ever met in my life as far as he, he knows how to present well. So like in his real estate business, when you drive up the between Provo, Utah and Salt Lake, Utah, we call the I-15 corridor because I-15 is the interstate that runs up. Um, Brandon's name, I swear, is like literally on every single building driving up the up the interstate. And he has been incredibly successful. So I knew Brandon Fugel by name only. I didn't know who he was. All I knew is that Every impressive building between Provo and Salt Lake had his name splashed all over the side of it with his phone number. And uh, and so this guy must be pretty important. His name's everywhere. And uh, you go to his office. And again, his office is incredible. And so for, you know, for a small town businessman like myself, walking into this new world of of you know, these guys that are just operating extremely high level. It was, um, I love it. I, I don't get intimidated easy, so I wasn't intimidated at all, but it, it, here's a new world I'm being introduced into. And Brandon comes in and he spent, I, I believe our first conversation that day was about three hours long, which for Brandon, he's, he's always going a hundred different directions. He's, he's putting out a million fires and, um, I, I wouldn't be surprised if he's got that superhero cape, uh, hidden in the trunk behind the car, I I wouldn't be surprised at all. But our con- our first conversation is about three hours, and he he very meticulously and very clearly communicated with me why he bought the ranch, what his vision was for it, um, his belief system around it, 
and then kind of he he laid out where he thought that I could assist him in in it and um and so we spent 3 hours together and he you know he's always had a curiosity about the unknown and uh kind of those life's answers like are we alone in the universe where did we come from where are we going and uh, obviously we have you know we have religious answers to those but he's really fascinated on on the science side and and has put his money where his mouth is you know the ranch is not his first endeavor into trying to figure out the unknown he's invested in tech companies before that um were were geared around trying to figure this stuff out as well and so when he had this opportunity to buy this mysterious ranch where these things were supposedly going on he he jumped on it and uh he's Brandon is one of the coolest human beings that I've had the privilege of meeting. Um, when you see him on TV, people, I, I, I read some of the message boards and that, and you hear Brandon like in the first episode when he's like, all right, Eric, get the case, you know, and he's <laughs> yeah. being like yeah. serious. Like people are like, Oh, they're dramatizing this. But those of us that know Brandon Fugel, like that is Brandon Fugel. That's not acting like he, uh, what, what, what can I say? He eats his shit up. He just, yeah. he loves his stuff. It's what he's grown up in. And so that's not Brandon acting like that is really Brandon. He, he's very, um, he, he's just a great person to be around. He's very open, very transparent, um, and very caring. I watch, um, people have no idea how much Brandon does for those people around him. He's a very caring human being. Um, and he, 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 he's a good guy. I can't say enough good about Brandon, but his intentions here is purely to get to the bottom of this mystery and try to figure it out and uh, to be very transparent about it. He, he doesn't have an agenda. Yeah, and I think something that comes across with, with Brandon and just is very factual, whether you like him or not, he doesn't have to do this. He has put his own money into this. This is not a money-making scheme because I think anyone who's in the UFO community, there are very few people who make money from it. This is a guy who's got enough money and, as you say, enough other projects that this is definitely a labour of love for him as well. And something I think, obviously, Brandon's came into most of our lives through the show, like yourself. And until you appear on the show and we get to know you, that's when you start existing for most people. So was that meeting with Brandon, am I right in saying, around 2017? Uh, so I think the, my first meeting with him would, would have been like either April or May of 2016. Okay, so for for me, your your life or existence came into being around uh, the start of this year, but this TV tells me that, no, no, this was last summer. What were you doing then from that meeting with Brandon until we saw you on the screens? Because you clearly had a job, an important job on the ranch. Yeah, so um, like I said, the property was in disrepair, and uh, um, Mr. Bigelow... Uh, you know, we, we know very little about what Mr. Bigelow did or did not do during his time on Skinwalker Ranch. He it's still uh, locked away behind, uh, you know, it's 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 still hidden and he hasn't come forth with any information. And in turning over the ranch to Brandon, the only thing that Brandon received when he purchased the ranch was the real estate documents that are required by law, you know, soils tests and some of the things that prove that the property is there's no nothing dangerous on the property as far as radioactive or you're in Utah 
real estate disclosures require that you disclose, you know, if there's something wrong with the property, you're supposed to disclose it to the buyer. So there was those type of things. Um, but there was no scientific data that was turned over, nothing. And when we came on, <laughs> it was hard to tell that there'd been a scientific uh, effort at all. And so we, we basically started from scratch. Brandon's, that first meeting that I was with Brandon, he explained to me that he bought this property and he wasn't even sure if there was anything to all of this uh, because Mr. Riggle transferred over any data. He wasn't sure if this was a bunch of stories or if there was actually something strange happening at the ranch. And so uh, he he wanted me to meet his prime uh, his principal investigator, Eric Bard, who is a trusted confidant of, of Brandon's. Um, and one of the greatest scientists, I mean, this guy is just brilliant and so disciplined in his approach and so meticulous about the way that he does his science. Uh, he's above reproach. And um, Brandon said, for the first little while, I want you to make as little disturbances as possible. And I just want to observe and see if we can see anything going on. And so even when we when we went and put cameras up, Bigelow had some old camera. He'd put his cameras inside of these metal ca uh, housing casings out there on a pole. And so we actually just took his cameras out because they were obsolete and just they were, they were no good. And when we put our cameras, we actually put them inside just so that the outside appearance didn't change at all. We didn't want to broadcast any um that we were there really that we were trying to watch and so we were trying to we were just uh, in a state of observation and so for the first 12 to even maybe 16 months that brandon owned the ranch um we were in a observation period where we were just trying to see is there something happening at skinwalker ranch and uh, it didn't take very long in matter of fact, Brandon had his first UFO sighting on the ranch, I think six months after he purchased the property, um, you know, going into the fall here. But it didn't take very long before we started to witness things that were unexplainable. And uh, the answer became very clear that, yes, there is something strange taking place on Skinwalker Ranch. And uh, and then about. I'd say early 2017, the discussion began to shift from is there something happening to there is something happening now. What do we do about it? What is the next step? And that's when we started to transition into taking some pretty aggressive steps to update the, the infrastructure. Brandon is very wealthy, but he's wealthy because he's smart with his money. He just didn't start dumping money a million directions. Our our investment has always been um, – it's always followed the data. So, for example, the first camera system that we put out on the ranch was a very inexpensive, low-grade, low-quality system. It was simply there to just see if we could capture. And once we started capturing stuff, then, Brandon's, then Brandon incrementally started to increase the quality of the cameras and the surveillance systems that we had based on the data that we were getting. And we've we've spent money on things and haven't got any results. And so there's no sense spending even more money in that area. And so our spending has been focused solely on where we're 
getting the results. So my time out at the ranch in the last four years was um, it is a ranch that requires care. It needs to be irrigated. You have to you have to get livestock on there or else it turns into a big fire hazard because the grass grows two feet tall in the spring. And then because we're in a desert by August, it's just so dead and dry that even a spark would just burn the whole place down. Uh, the cows come in, they eat the grass down and then it doesn't it doesn't do that. So um, the fences, the I mean, there's so much maintenance just just with a regular ranch that takes place that that I was trying to take care of. And then you, when you add on to that, the science once in once 2017 started, that's when we started to make aggressive changes. And really, so then the whole narrative of my injury comes into play because it was, it was March of 2017 when I had that severe injury and it, you know, maybe coincidentally, maybe not, we don't know for sure. We can't say positively, but that's when I started to do some major excavation on the ranch in conjunction with upgrading the facilities. And then, uh, you know, I start, I start changing the landscape drastically, putting in some roads and things for security to be able to get around on the ranch. And, um, and then I, I end up with this injury. So, um, I've been very busy over the past four years. I've installed every single camera on the place every i i've run miles and miles of power lines and internet lines um i've i've upgraded the septic the septic system the wastewater system was completely shot we've replaced that the the old ranch house had a lot of mold issues and stuff in it that we had to take care of i obviously put in the helipad and um we remodeled the command center it was just a dumpy old little modular trailer that was uh, complete shambles. We've remodeled that to what you see on television. So that's what I've been doing the last four years. That's amazing. And there must have been, I mean, as much hard work as that sounds, getting to create that little command center as like a tech geek stream. When that door opened for the first time and you see all those screens, it's like I paused the TV that I was watching. And, you know, I was just looking around going, oh my God, how many TVs? So they've got at least 9, 10, 11, 12 cameras on display just now. And then they've got so many TVs here and there's just boxes everywhere. And you would just love five, 10 minutes in that room to go and just mess about with it to see what you can do. So that must have been a lot of fun. Can I just ask then, so that kind of takes us up to the kind of more almost present day, the last year or so. When did you first start to hear that there's potentially going to be a show made about the ranch? Was that quite a quick process or was it something that was always in the offing? Yeah, so... um it's something that once we determined that there was something happening on the ranch and that discussion turned, okay, yeah, we're seeing things happen here. Now what do we do with this information? Do we do we keep it to ourselves like Bigelow did? Do we share it out in a public forum? And if we share it in a public forum, like how do you do that? Is that just something like we make a YouTube video and put it up? Do we like is this something you put in the science journal? Uh it really became how do you how do you release this information? And about the same time, um, and I'm I want to make sure I get my dates here right. But um, the entire time we owned the ranch, one of the first things we had to do there was a road that went right through the middle of the ranch that was a public road. And um, when we bought it, the county notified Brandon that we couldn't lock the gate anymore. It was a public road. We had to let the public go across, which 
put a lot of panic through the team because it's like, how can you carry on an ongoing science investigation if you've got tourists going through the middle of your laboratory? And so I, I was able to go to the county and get that road vacated and shut down. And uh, when I did that, it required public hearings. And Brandon, he didn't want this to stigmatize his business. Uh, you know, this whole paranormal world doesn't always mix well when you're talking about business professionals and real estate and you're trying to sell a building to people and they think you're a quack, you know, because you're, you're chasing ghosts and goblins. So Brandon was very, very adamant that people not know his identity. So anytime we had to go public with something, we always did it through my name. So I was the one that attended the public hearings. I was the one that got the road vacated. Um, we did, Brandon let me, he, he reached out and said, hey, release a few of these photos on the internet. So I would put a few photos out. So when people went searching for Skinwalker Ranch, my name was the only one that they could find associated with it. And because of that, um, I, I had both the blessing and the curse of having hundreds of people reach out to me on a regular basis asking, can we come on the ranch or we want this or we want that. And part of that was, is at least once or twice a month, I got solicited from some type of movie producer or TV producer that was wanting to do a show on Skinwalker Ranch. And I'd always just take most of them. Uh, Brandon kind of charged me with the task of vetting through them and, and picking out which ones are serious. Not just TV producers, but anybody that contacted us in regards to the ranch. And uh, so Brandon... Brandon would have me vet them and, and I'd have these TV people reach out and I would look and I'd be, uh, no. And so 99% of them got filtered out. And I had one guy about the same time that now the discussion is, we're starting to have this discussion of, well, how do we release this to the public? I had a TV producer uh, named TJ uh, Allard. He's one of the executive producers on the show. And uh, TJ reached out to me and introduced himself and uh, eventually convinced me into taking a phone call. And he pitched this idea of, of allowing TV cameras to come on and, and document our, our uh, process, our science investigation. And so I, I told him, we're not interested. Um, you know, you're always welcome to continue to call back. That's fine. You know, you're a nice guy. I'll take your call. Well, TJ then started to reach out to me every single month, and he did so for almost a year. Um, hey, man, just checking in. You think you think that's something you guys would be interested in? Well, about month six or seven, eight of this, I, I don't know the exact time, but um, I, I did reach out to Brandon, and I said, you know, we're having this discussion on, on how to release this. Um, I've got this TV guy that's pitched this idea, and he's he's been pretty persistent. And Brandon at the time was like, I don't know, you know, I don't know if we really want to do that. And I was like, no problem, you know. And then as time went on, TJ kept being persistent. Finally, I said, all right, I'll let you talk to Jim Morse. Jim's the manager. And if Jim thinks it's a good idea, then we'll take you to Brandon. So Jim talked to him for another couple of months. And then finally, Jim's like, yeah, TJ's the real deal. He's a good guy. It's worth having a conversation. So then TJ, I think TJ may have even flown in to talk to Brandon. I'm not sure about that. But um, TJ finally got to talk to Brandon, and uh, and thus the idea of 
the whole network series came into being and uh and that's kind of how it came to be so it's not something that we went out looking for um i have to give tj a lot of credit for being persistent and following up every single month and uh kip he, he just didn't give up so it took a long time before from from when we were first contacted and then even after that point that he had that conversation with brandon then i think you know it was a long time after that that before before it became a reality so I mean, so on the ranch at this point, we're, we're getting to the point now we're about to start filming the show. Is it yourself, Jim Morse? Uh, is Jim Segala there as well? Um, so our our ranch team from the beginning has basically been myself and Eric Bard, the principal investigator, Jim Morse, who's the ranch manager, and um, Bryant Arnold, Dragon. Uh, he's been there from the beginning. And then... Jim Segala, um, he has an interesting pass in the fact that he has done a lot of work that is tied in with the ranch through others, through other individuals. So um, he's tied in with some of the scientists that worked for Mr. Bigelow um, on, on Mr. Bigelow's investigation. And so Jim Segala had a lot of knowledge as far as the Bigelow days. And then with my injury, um, that's kind of Jim Segalas, he was one of the three individuals that investigated my head injury. And so it made sense to bring him in because, one, he, he's coming at it from kind of that biomedical side um, with with my injury. And uh, and then he also had, you know, pretty good knowledge of some of the things that Bigelow um, had done during Bigelow days. So He's been tied into the ranch for quite some time, but not necessarily like on our ranch team, if that makes sense. Yeah, of course. That That's really interesting to know. How did things start to change on a day-to-day running of the ranch as the cameras and crew and I'm guessing TJ and his people start to come in for, for you guys? Because you've now had it, what, two, two to three years at this point working on the ranch. And I'm guessing things changed to some degree. What was that like? Yeah, so they absolutely did change. I mean, um, you know, while Jim Segal had been on the ranch several times before and he'd been working um, behind the scenes on on my investigation, on my head injury, and, and, and been working on some of the science as well, um, Travis was new to the scene. Uh, you know, we're bringing on a new skeptical scientist. And... Uh, when you bring a new scientist on, it, it almost is like you have to go back to the beginning and say, we've done this, 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 this. And and then they want to, of course, see that for themselves. They want to they want to be able to verify for themselves what's going on. Um, and then it the investigation. So it is authentic on TV as far as we're not we're not dramatizing. It's not scripted. They left it up to us to do what we wanted to do. I was never told what to say um, as far as like, hey, you know, do this or do that. Um, So it's authentic that way. But it did change the fact that there's a lot of the science that would just put people to sleep. It's definitely not made for TV. And so for those couple of months that you have the cameras there, you're really focused more on the visuals side of things. Um, we've been trying to process the data from the summer filming since the cameras 
turned off and went away because we gathered a lot of data and then you're trying to go through and post-process it, figure out, you know, plot it, figure out what it all means. Um, so it changes in the, in the format that um, we're trying to share what, what our investigation is with the audience, um, which is legit. Um, but at the same time, uh, even things like when we're measuring RF, for example, we're out there. Well, we're all wearing microphones. Um, the cameras are all broadcasting wirelessly. Like we're creating a lot of radio frequencies just by our presence being there. There's nothing abnormal about that. So when you have a meter and it's spiking and it's showing high levels of RF, um, well, a lot of that could just be caused by our cameras and our microphones and our self-emitted all our cell phones and all the equipment that's there. And so the process becomes a little harder because you have to eliminate the known sources from the unknown sources, which means if you're starting to see those spikes, you got to turn off the cameras, you got to turn off the microphones, you got to turn off the cell phones. You've got to eliminate everything you possibly can that might be emitting that signal so that you can tell that that signal is legit and not just man-made. So there's a lot of that stuff that we you have to learn how to work with the film crew and try to figure out. Uh, we're out there with, you know, I think it's episode three when we're out there trying to triangulate. And there's a camera shot of us like we got these coffee cans. It's Jim Segala and Travis and I. We got these coffee cans with these little RF meters, right? And I've taken a lot of criticism for this, as is, I'm sure Travis and Jim. But we're like holding this rf meter out in front of the coffee can which obviously defeats the whole purpose and and so people are like you're not even using those right you guys don't know what the heck you're doing well when the when the meter is inside the coffee can and you've got to hold it so that you can still see inside the can and see the meter but uh keep it inside the camera can't see that it it doesn't make for a good camera shot for the audience so it's balancing. It's it's like actually doing the exercise and then being able to film it in a way that the audience could get an idea of what it is that we're trying to accomplish. And so there's so much of that that it's like, oh, we need to you, you got to pull that out of the can where we can pick that up with the camera. And uh, so that's a lot of the adjustments was trying to trying to learn how to do the science and make it work for the camera guys so that we can give them their sexy shot that's going to, you know, bring ratings to the television show. This is something I've addressed with Dan when we do the watch along show and I love the show and I've, I kind of compare it to the, the unidentified series with Tom DeLonge and Louise Elizondo. I don't know if you watched any of that um, around obviously the Tic Tac UFO and it's again, history channel produce it. It's, you know, that's about UFOs and the U S government's recent admissions. And then this is, here's a serious scientific investigation on history again about skinwalker ranch so the, the comparisons are probably pretty fair so something then I, i'll address now so the reception of season one there was a lot of great reviews the ratings were really good um i've actually been involved in a conversation with a few people today where brandon has been destroying some skeptics fantastically on twitter uh which i love to watch him do because he's very eloquent and he's extremely intelligent and i love the way he comes across um however like you've said yourself, there's a lot of mixed feelings on the production. 
potentially manufactured forced incidents. And you've kind of addressed that there when you say that you've got to do certain things for different camera shots. Have you watched the full season back? And would you say any of those criticisms were fair around the production aspect of it? So, yeah, I know what we filmed. And uh, and then just like the regular viewers, I'm sitting down on television and you have to realize that we filmed all summer and that's condensed down to eight. I don't know what they are, 45 or 50 minute episodes. Yeah. So you're taking weeks and weeks and weeks of filming and editing it down for for 45 minutes uh, episode. And uh, and so there are a lot of I think the frustrating thing with the whole production is, is um, I first of all, I think that Prometheus did a wonderful job. I want to be clear that I think they did a great job of trying to balance showing the viewer the science that's going on but putting it in a format that's going to be watchable for 95% of the people that are not, you know, those of us that are in the science, we want the details. We could do without the drama, without the, you know, the buildups and that we just, we want to know what are the facts here? What's the data? What are you seeing? That's what's important. But you have to understand that 95% of the viewers are coming home from work. They're kicking their feet up. They just want something to entertain them for an hour and not think about their day and so prometheus has had the challenge of trying to edit that and keep it true to the science but at the same time uh i'm just going to say it dramatizing it uh in in ways so i have to say as i'm watching it like if i'm being 100 percent honest i'm happy with most of i'm happy with probably 90 percent of everything they did i'm happy with I, I understand they had to portray it somehow and i'm happy with the way they did it there's 10% of it probably that I cringe and I say, I wish that they would have shown that differently because that, that should have, in my opinion, that should have been portrayed differently or they shouldn't, you know, episode six was hard for me. Uh, I did not like the way that that was edited. I'm just going to say it. I didn't like, I didn't like the way that episode six was edited. Um, just for but, the listeners that might not be sure of episode six, what was the particular incident you weren't happy about? Um, well, that's the episode with the drilling and then the alpacas, and specifically following, specifically dealing with the whole alpaca incident of them being attacked. I was very unhappy about the way that that was portrayed and and edited, and and I felt like in some ways was deceiving as to what what um the way that it was filmed let's just put it that way and, and i have to be careful because um i you know i'm not here to throw anybody under the bus i just but i do feel like i have the right to have a voice and say you know i'm, I'm happy with the way that was shown in the way that that was not shown but so at, for me yes there are parts of it that i'm like Ugh, um i wish that would have been portrayed differently but um overall like i say 90 percent of it i'm i'm happy with what they showed and and maybe that's also because i was there so when i see the criticisms and the critics you know oh you're using the coffee cans wrong yeah it does show us using those wrong but we did do it the right way the cameras just didn't like they chose not to use that film because it didn't look as good as this stuff and so in my mind i'm i can be at peace with that because um i think the critics have every he's right we were using those cans wrong. So I can't blame him for feeling that way. 
Um, but it was just a representation. We did use them the correct way. We did go through and, um, you know, the camera, like, for example, when we have to take the cameras down to check for RF, that's something that's not getting filmed. Um, so the audience can't see us doing our very best to be true to science and, and trying to eliminate, okay, was it this, was it that? And, uh, and so, um, yeah, it's, it's one of those things where it's almost like a marriage, you know, you got to compromise a little bit and you know, you're not going to get perfect. So you just strive to get for something that you can both live with. And, uh, and that's kind of what I feel like with this TV series. No, I, I really appreciate the honesty on that. And I think when you get involved in something like the community, whether it's paranormal, the UFO community, you know, people who are see a spiritual side to what's going on or whatever it is, they're very protective because this is something for their whole life. It's It's been theirs. There'll be people that for Skinwalker Ranch, this is what it means to them. And when people try and make it look like something it's not, they get protective. And the UFO community is one of the worst for that. It's great, but it's also brutal at times as well the slightest thing so i get that and you're right that it's entertainment at the end of the day and if you want to move the conversation forward and you want to bring a new audience to kind of see what's being done there with the investigation and does that involve eventually getting more funding more eyes on the project and you know moving it into a bigger discussion then you do have to aim it at people in an entertaining way because like you say as incredible as the science is and the data is going to be the thing that you know ultimately gives us answers it's not going to get ratings and ratings if they're low aren't going to renew shows so there's a balance there to be found and I think if I had anything and this is just my own personal for season two whoever's in charge of mixing the music and the dramatic headshots of you know when you look to the side and I just I just get that I just get that cringe of ah you shouldn't have a look but I, I reckon the look and particularly Dragon some of his looks I think has he actually done that at that time or have they taken a totally random shot from five minutes before where someone's been ordered in a Chinese and he's not been happy with what's came, you know, what's been delivered and they've just used <laughs> that as the shot. So I always worry about that one, like these reality based, you know, series. But yeah, sometimes they're real and sometimes they were edited from five minutes earlier when the Chinese was not right. So, yes, both. Yeah. <laughs> and do you know what I, I can live with that though you, you get that and it, it's getting an audience and do you know what the, it has been renewed for a second season and we'll kind of wrap up on on talking about season two but just to go back then you've mentioned a few times about your your head and your injury um so what we see is that before the season started a couple of years previous you had done some digging um i believe the shot used in the show was of an with an excavator or some kind of digging equipment and off the back of that, I mean, your words will be better than mine. Do you want to just quickly talk through what happened and what we can see on the show? Yeah, so, yeah, I was using a skid steer, um, and I was actually carving into the side of the mesa. I uh, there, there was a section of ranch up on the mesa that security could only access by foot. We'd had some issues with trespassers, and by the time you get up on top of mesa with a the foot, they're gone, and... Uh, we, we've dealt with vandalism, all kinds of stuff. So my my fix for that was, hey, I'll carve a road up on top so we can get up on there with the UTVs and then they can't outrun us. We can better patrol the perimeter of the ranch. I started to do this ex- excavation and uh, it was during the course of doing it. Matter of fact, so that particular 
that particular road that I was working on lies unfinished today. It's about three quarters of the way finished. Uh, still doesn't get up on top. Um, but, uh, the one thing that I fought with the network on a little bit was they kept saying, matter of fact, I, I saw a rough cut of the first episode and they had me saying I was digging and then my head started to swell up. And I told them, if you put that in there, I will sing like a canary because that's not what happened. Um, it, it did, I was not digging and it did, and it started to swell up. See, the fact of the matter is, is while we're, while there have been literally dozens and dozens of incidents where I have been digging and then something bad happens, uh, correlation does not mean that that you can't point for sure and say, Oh, that happened because you dug. It could have seriously been a series of coincidences that have nothing to do with each other. But it happens enough that it does give us pause. And it's like, okay, it's something we need to keep in the back of mind. We need to be careful of. In this particular case, here I am defacing the mesa to put this road in. Uh, just this little UTV trail up the side. And... Uh, my injury started on a Saturday. I hadn't even been to the ranch in a couple of days. Like it'd been two days since I've been at the ranch and then, or three days. I, I don't remember now exactly, but on the back of my head, on the lower part of my head, um, on Saturday night, it was actually my birthday. I can remember the date perfect. Cause it started on my birthday, March 4th. And, uh, that night when went to bed, uh, I noticed that I had a sore spot on the back of my head. It was kind of like a bruise about a little bit, you know, probably like one inch in diameter. And um, I, thought, I, I didn't think much of it. Um, we'd actually spent my birthday at a funeral of a loved one. And so I'd been sat all day inside of a church house at a funeral. I hadn't done any physical activity. Went to bed. When I woke up Sunday morning, that bruise had swollen up. It was really tight. It was like a little goose egg. And, my, and it was extremely painful. And so my thought was, was maybe I'd just gotten a spider bite or some type of insect had bitten me and I had reacted to it. And I told, I mentioned it to my wife. So Sunday morning we went to church and uh, as church was going on, you know, as this hour rolled on, I started to feel sicker and sicker. I finally told my wife that I was going to leave church early. I went home, laid down and my head just hurt really, really bad. And I felt nauseous. Um, I thought maybe I had the flu. I wasn't sure. I, you know, I, I, at this point, I was pretty certain that I'd gotten an insect bite and it was making me sick. And uh, I have, I'm, I'm otherwise an extremely healthy person. Um, I've had physicals. I pass them with flying colors. I've, um, I, I'm a healthy individual. And every, all, every test that I've taken, my markers have always come back excellent. So I wasn't worried. I rarely, I never go to the doctor unless I absolutely am dying and I have to. And uh, my wife came home. She was concerned about me. Um, Sunday progressed into Sunday evening and then into Monday morning. I was now pretty sick. Um, I was, I was not up on my feet. And uh, Monday she wanted to take me to the hospital and I refused to let her. I told her, no, I'll be fine. It's just a spider bite like let it run its course i'll start feeling better soon and uh then by by monday night 
I was in extreme pain. And starting Monday night, probably around 10 p.m., uh, the goose egg went – it stayed pretty much the same size all of, all of Sunday and all of Monday. But come into Monday night, the goose egg started to grow and uh, it started to spread. And what ended up happening was that my – the fatty tissue of my scalp separated from my skull. And so I basically got scalped. And Monday night into Tuesday morning, uh, it's the most excruciating pain I've ever felt in my life. I was, um, it, it, I can't even describe the amount of pain I was in, and and I uh, just toughed it out. At this point, I'm not, I don't know that I was thinking 100% straight, but my wife woke up Tuesday morning, saw that my head had completely swollen up. Um, it, you, there was a definite line on my forehead where it had separated and it continued to move slowly move down my forehead towards my eyes. And so she freaked out, loaded me up, took me to the hospital, uh, where I was admitted and, uh, ended up sp- spending the week in the hospital. And, uh, by the, by the end of the third day, I could pretty much grab the hair on my head and walk my face around my skull because it wasn't attached. It was, it was detached. It was pretty gruesome. And, uh, you know, because of my association with the ranch, I was only out of the hospital a day or two when I was contacted by, um, Brandon and, and the team and asking me if I'd be willing to allow some people to come investigate it. Um, and so I bet I had only been home a couple of days when the investigation into what had taken place. Now, mind you, when I was in the hospital, my doctors could not figure out what was going on. I did over. I think they ran 43 different tests. They were able to rule out insect bites. They were able to rule out every test I took. My doctor would come back into my room after the test, after the lab results came back, and he'd shake his head and say, you're the healthiest sick person I've ever met. All my all my lab tests were coming back, not just good, but they were spot on perfect. When they biopsied the fluid in my head, um, I mean, it came back 100% sterile. They couldn't even, I mean, it was nothing. And so everything that they were seeing in my results justified what they should be seeing. And my doctor used the term medically impossible several times with me. They, they could not figure out what was going on. And when they released me from the hospital, uh, I even had to sign a paper on the release forms that was the hospital saying, we have no idea what took, what caused this. We have no idea what happened to you. So therefore, we don't know what to tell you to stay away from and and made me sign that paper. So then the investigation side started. These individuals uh, had three individuals that were investigating my injury very closely. And, and uh, it has been over the course of the past two or three years. Um, they, they've had me continue to take further tests and more MRIs, more uh, all kinds of different tests. And it's through this investigation process that as time goes on and as they learn more about what took place and, and have dove into my medical records and everything that the confidence level has increased dramatically that it is associated with the ranch and that it did occur on the ranch. Um, but you know, in all honesty, you can't, none of us can say a hundred percent sure that, that it happened on the ranch or that it, you know, but the investigation and, and where we're being led shows that yes, it, it is tied into the ranch. And that's why, I think the network continues to, they, they, 
they bring it up all the time. I think if I cringed a lot, it's because like, oh, serious, you're showing that picture again. Um, <laughs> but uh, would, that, would that be the picture of the scan where it shows the the fluid inside? Oh. Both the scan and then the one that I'm in the hospital where I look like total, I, I look like, oh man, they show the picture of me in the hospital with my head bandaged and I've seen that, I don't know how many times I've seen that in the episodes and I'm like, seriously, you're showing that picture again? So, um, but that's one of the reasons why they do is because the investigation, which um, to, you know, to be honest with the viewers, there's a lot about there are a lot of facts with my injury that are not public and I don't know, you know, I don't know if they ever will become public, but some of that's not really in my hands, um, because of the things that they've, they've unearthed. So, um, it is my, it does, it does appear like it is associated with the ranch and the investigation, careful, careful, long disciplined investigation has shown that, um indications are strong that it 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 is ranch related and uh and then you know then comes the speculation as to what caused it why you know and it's good to hear you say that even even though it's something you've experienced and and you know like you say the pain you went through and you've had this separate investigation which i'm sure people are going to love to hear the kind of mysterious mysterious side of it but for you it's trying to get some answers and if that's something that's getting you closer to that that's that's really good to hear and from our point of view it's great you're fit and healthy but then there's also the potential that this could be a warning shot from which whatever the phenomena is on the ranch because like you say yeah, you've you've done some digging, you've defaced it, you've changed it, and if that's something that when observing's fine, but actually, like like we know, the first episode's called "Bad Things Happen When You Dig" for a reason. You know, something bad happened when you dug. It, it does flare up again near the start of the season, and everyone seemed really concerned. I know you you take yourself away from the scene, don't you? Um, how much did that shape the safety protocols going forward? And did that have an impact on the show going forward that, you know, you'd started to feel that kind of pain again? Yeah. So I've had, I've had several small reoccurrences and, um, all, all ranch related. Um, and each time you think you've got it behind you, you think that it's in your past when that happened, when we were out there, now it's interesting, here we are shining lasers up on the mesa. And uh, and then next thing I know, like, my head is in that, you know, the concerning thing was, it wasn't like the pain was excruciating. I mean, it, it, it hurt. So I'm not going to lie. The pain hurt. It was not the same kind of pain that I felt with my first injury, but it was... It was the fact that it was taking place in that exact same spot that it started the first time. That was a concerning thing. It's like, great, here we go again. Um, it did start to swell up again, and uh, and it and this time, you know, if the producers want me to go out there and say we were shining lights on the mesa and my head started to swell up, I'll do it because we were out there shining lights on the mesa and my head started to swell up. I was on the ranch. And this this starts to happen again, and uh, it it did shake us. And you know the whole uh, there was a whole discussion that went on in my absence, and then also you know I was taking I took some phone calls off site too while this whole thing's going on. And Brandon, uh, 
Brandon is not about to let his curiosity be more important than the health of his team. Brandon is very, very people oriented and his, his concern is genuine. It's not dramatized. It's not contrived. And so there was discussion. Brandon, Brandon was seriously saying, I don't know if this is worth it guys. Like, um, he, he had a conversation with me. He's like, Tom, like, is it really worth it? Are we playing with fire? Should we, should we pull out? You know, I, I don't want, this isn't worth somebody that I care about deeply getting hurt. And, and then, you, you know, you see, you see some of that discussion on TV. I think it's in episode three when I come back. Um, but it is something that I can't, in my heart, I can't believe that all this stuff that's happening on the ranch is like honoring the little barbed wire fence that goes around the border that somehow that fence is keeping all the ghosts and goblins in. Right. And so there's a good chance that a lot of the things that we're seeing on the ranch are happening in the surrounding area as well, which we have a lot of people, uh, even though we're rural, you know, you have hundreds, if not thousands of people within a short proximate distance that, um, that called us home. And, uh, and as long as we've got somebody like Brandon that has the money and the the resources to come in and investigate it, um, I <laughs> I had a little bit of fear in my heart, like don't pull out because you know, yeah, Bigelow came and investigated, and what did we get out of it? We d- we don't know what we got. Nothing came of it. They locked everything behind. So as long as we've got someone like Brandon that's willing to foot the bill and pay for this investigation. I don't want to lose that opportunity. And we owe it to the surrounding areas to see if this is something that's just on the ranch, or maybe there's something dangerous in the surrounding areas as well. And so, um, we, we pushed on and, uh, I encouraged him not to, not to run, but it shaped the rest of the season. I think what it did is it made Travis cause Travis thought we were all a bunch of scaredy cats. And, uh, uh matter of fact, his exact words to us before the TV series even started is he thought we were all batshit crazy. And um, I think that my injury kind of snapped him out of it and, and brought made it real for him that this is, a, this is not something we're just goofing around about. We're not just saying these things to make it sound mysterious. Like there are real effects going on here. And I think if anything, my injury made Travis realize that there are consequences and that the the investigation needs to be done, but it needs to be done safely. It needs to be done cautiously. I know that's kind of when his view of dragon changed because um, at that point he realized that we have good reason to be cautious about what we're doing. And there's a reason why we haven't just gone, been running around poking the hornet's nest. So it did change the rest of the season. It'll change the rest of the investigation as far as the show goes because I think that's what made it real. Like, Oh man, somebody like, okay, people could get hurt. And then you see later on in, in le- the later episodes that Travis himself starts to experience some of these same things. And so, um, it, uh, it validated the fact that we need to be, we need to be cautious. Absolutely. And that incident was highlighted, you know, again, hopefully it's something that doesn't happen again to you because it can't be a nice thing to experience. However, was anything that the cameras did or didn't pick up that you would put alongside that as some of the strangest things that you've been a part of or witnessed while while you've been on the ranch? 
Yeah, so my injury is definitely the top. And then um, because I spend so much time on the ranch, um, as far as my physical pre- – like physically present on the ranch, I, I spend just as much if not more time than anybody else on the ranch team and have done since day one. Um, I, I have had the opportunity, blessing or curse, I'm not sure, of having a lot of experiences on the ranch. I've experienced tear. Um, and this is a feeling where I didn't see anything. I couldn't, like, I couldn't tangibly see what the danger was, but there was like a, uh, neurological or psychological effect. I think, I think it had to do some type of, we've recorded these high, um, electromagnetic, uh, my brain's shortened out now. We, we've, re, we've registered a lot of these radio frequencies that are extremely high, borderline dangerous. And there have been times on this ranch and, and they've, they've happened at night. Um, I've been over there doing my responsibilities. One was one night was when I was plowing snow and I actually heard an audible voice associated with this. And when I, and it told me to stop and don't go any further. And, uh, when I ignored this voice, I mean, I know for a fact it was not audible, like it happened inside my head, but I couldn't like, you couldn't have told me the difference. It sounded just as if you're talking to me. Um, but I know it wasn't audible because I was plowing snow. My skid steer was making so much noise. And then I had earbuds in my ears listening to an audiobook. So somebody could have been standing three feet away from me yelling at me. And I may not have heard of them, heard them because of all the noise the machine was making. But I heard the voice crystal clear, which tells me it came from inside my head, not outside my head. I ignored the warning. It told me to not go any further. And uh, immediately... When I when I continued down on uh, when I came, I, I was plowing snow. So I went back to the ranch house and I was coming back. And when I got to that point that I'd been warned not to go any further, I just thought, well, that's stupid. Um, I'm just imagining this stuff. And I kept going and I only made it maybe 100 feet. And all of a sudden this terror gripped me, this fear. And it's unlike anything I've ever experienced in my entire life. I've been scared before, but nothing like this. And it became so bad that I was shaking like I, it was like I had Parkinson's disease. I was shaking so severely I couldn't control it. And uh, and these these times when this fear comes over me, the psychological or the neurological effects. Um, I had one. Well, this particular time I shook for about 12 hours before I stopped shaking. I couldn't control it. It was it was outside of my ability to control it. The next time it was almost 24 hours before I stopped shaking. So I've had that happen. Um, I've seen, um, I've seen things like, uh, there was one day I thought I saw a dog walking across the road. We'd had, we'd had some animals, some, a pack of dogs chasing the livestock. And, uh, so I saw this dog crossing the road and I thought I would go up and catch it. And when I got up to it, it wasn't there. Like it just vaporized. So it was like a mirage type thing um i we've had the, the equipment i've had my cell phone you see on the episode where the cell phones start going crazy yeah. i've had my phone gripped um i've seen batteries go from 100 percent to zero in in under two minutes i've had um i'm trying to think i've had a lot of things with my equipment 
take place. Um, I, so many that I could I could literally spend two hours just telling you about the experience that maybe maybe four hours just talking about the experiences I've seen. But I've 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 felt I've seen shadow figures over in the homesteads. Um, so all kinds of strange, crazy things. And that's the beauty of the ranch, isn't it? That and and the area that there's it's not just one phenomena. It isn't just there's UFOs. It's not just there's there's lights on the mesa. Or, you know. It's not you're getting these weird sounds coming from un- underneath the homes. Uh, there, there's a lot going on, you know, huge direwolf type creatures, portals potentially opening up left, right and centre. So that that's the kind of mystique and the nature of the ranch. Obviously, we've got a second series. Brandon himself has said should be filming soon. Um, have you got anything more like, do you know any more about the dates or what we can kind of expect from a second season? And even if you're kind of bound by networks that you can't discuss that kind of detail, you know, what, what would you like to see in a second season? Well, um, yeah, so Brandon, being the boss, uh, can get away with a lot of things I can't. So I uh, I took his lead. You know, he tweeted out the other day that we were having a second season and I took the lead and was like, sweet, it's public knowledge now. I can share it with people. And then uh, only to be told that, no, I can't share that with people yet. And it hasn't been made official. So I'll let Brandon take the lead on that stuff. He seems to be able to get away with it. That's Um, fair. (laughs) But I will say um, I and I've been vocal about this with Brandon and I've been vocal about it with the network and our meetings. you know, when you're looking forward to what, you know, uh, hypothetically, if there was a second season, <clears throat> yeah, uh, what would we do? Uh, there's things we we discovered a lot of things in episode one, or I mean, in in season one that I'd like to go back and revisit and and more meticulously and carefully investigate out. Um, there was a lot of loose ends left hanging that, that need followed up on. Um, in addition, there's things in second season that I hope I told, I told the network that I sincerely hope in second season that they will be less, um, in season one, they did not, they, they have this rule, like they called it the fourth curtain. And that is that they don't want to become the story. Like they're there to capture the story. They don't want to become the story. And so the, the camera, the, the production crew experienced a lot of things themselves. I mean, their equipment was not immune to the, to the anomalies that take place on the ranch. They struggled with batteries going dead. They struggled with getting equipment to work properly. Matter of fact, there's a huge there's a huge section of uh, filming that we did that got wiped mysteriously um, uh, on a, on a section. They, they experienced strange things on that ranch as well. And unfortunately I feel like when you, when you don't document those, then it leads to the criticism and justly so that says, well, how come, you know, why is it that that guy's $35,000 drone won't work, but the network's drone works just fine to capture it? It must be made up. It must be, you know, this is just fake. And so I really hope that season two, that when, not if, but when they experience some of the same troubles that we're experiencing, the audience can see that and be shown behind the curtain and be like, oh, like, 
the network's cameras just went down, and we don't know why. We can't figure it out rather than that never being shown. So I hope that that is shown. Um, I hope that they allow us to show more um, mundane things. And by that I mean um, technically every object in the sky is a UFO for at least a minute until your brain registers. That's a plane or that's a helicopter or that's a drone. Um, We see so many UFOs on the ranch. It's unbelievable. But they might be a UFO for a day. They might be a UFO for a week. They might be a UFO for a year until we finally are able to crack the mystery of what that was. Oh, that was, that was flight 1248 United, you know, going to London. And for whatever reason, it didn't show up or whatever it is. And truth be told, 98 or 99% of the UFOs we see on the ranch, yeah, they're UFOs for a time. But then as we do the investigation, as Eric does his post-processing on the video and all that, uh, at some point we learn that it's just of mundane origin, you know. And so I hope that they allow us to show some of those things so that people can see we do our due diligence and uh, we're we're not just drinking Kool-Aid. Not every fly on the camera lens is a UFO. Not not every snowflake out there is an orb. And uh, but if that's all you show on television and that's all the audience sees, then how are they supposed to know that you've eliminated, you know, you're calling this a unknown object because you've already eliminated out the insects and the bugs and the planes and the drones and the helicopters and the dust and all the things that can look really that can look damn impressive in a camera. But actually, at the end of the day, it's just regular if they'll allow us to show the guys kind of going through that process of eliminating it and finding out that, oh, that was really cool to see. But at the end of the day, that was actually a piece of dust that was reflecting the infrared camera lens, you know. And so I think that will help bring credibility to the show if the audience is able to see behind the curtain just a little bit more and see and I don't want to call them failures because it's not a failure, but see some of a, the debunking that takes place. You know, that that would be great. I mean, and you would think, it, especially in 2020 or more than likely 2021, when we potentially get to see a second season, if they make a second season, of course. Right. Uh, you've got you've got a lot of different platforms where you could put content like that. But if they don't want it in a main show that they still want to make, you know, dramatised or you know, really focus on the entertainment aspect. And you talked about, you know, some of the boring science or the more mundane things. You could put that on a YouTube or you could put that on Twitter or whatever kind of platform they want. If they want to put it on their own website, you know, here's bonus content for people. And yeah, I'm sure there would be a market for that because that's that's something that definitely when I go through the Twitter feeds and the message boards, people question these things. So the interest is definitely there. That that probably takes us nicely, Thomas, onto some listener questions. Um, because the first one's linked into what you've you've just said there. So Ashley um had a few questions for you. What kind of experiments uh, would Thomas and the team like to do next? And also, are there any experiments you've done you think you could have improved on? Um, I want better GPR. So if 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 Thomas gets to call the shots, and uh, and I get to do this, then. Um, I want better, not, I'm not saying the guys that did it in season one, um, didn't do a good job. I'm saying 
they weren't able to do enough of the job. I want to go back, revisit that, um, and uh, I want to investigate further over at the homestead too. Um, you know that where we did the drilling. Um, I think that we need to look into that more. Um, you know, it's funny. I actually made a whole list the other day because I did submit a list saying, "Gal, you know, if there were a season two, these are some of the ideas that I would I would like to explore further if I had if I had a say." Um, but we, we triangulate it. I think one of the biggest things is we're, we keep picking up these strange signals, these strange RFs. And, um, when we've done the rockets, when we did the weather balloon, the data seems to suggest that the higher up we're going, the, the stronger the signals are getting, which would be opposite of what should be happening according to the scientists. So I would really like to drill down and go higher, figure out a way to put equipment up higher for longer and get some good data that's not just a few seconds long. Like, the, you know, the rockets were great, but you're, you're really limited in time as to the sample size that you're able to get. So I'd like to really look uh, further at um, the RF signals that we're picking up out there. And then um, I'd like to branch out a little bit, and I would like to see us setting up some instrumentation that would allow us to tell, you know, when we're seeing something on the ranch, are we seeing it other places in the Una Basin as well? Um, so I'd like to branch out a little bit and see, kind of take a wider area and see um, if we can get a, a, an idea of, of just how localized this is to the ranch. Awesome. Um, I, I suppose the ideal was, you know, when you've done that rocket experiment, what we were all going to hopefully see was the rocket shooting into the sky and then about, you know, a couple of hundred feet up, hitting something, dropping out the sky and it being like, oh, there's something sitting there that's got an invisibility cloak or it's hidden and we just can't see it. But, but yeah, so, but no, but some of those experiments, like you say, they were intriguing enough. You want to see more and you kind of want to take it that next step further. And again, that ties in with what you said earlier that these experiments for all they've got a monetary value, like someone like Brandon, okay, so if there's something in the first one you do, let's spend a bit more next time and investigating it further. And again, that would be great for season two. So thanks for that question, Ashley. Stephen had a question or two questions. Are you aware of the history of different UFO cases? And if so, do you see any patterns with what goes on around the world and what goes on in the ranch in terms of UFOs? Yeah, so before I became associated with the ranch, this is not a area that caught my interest. I did not spend any time on UFO theories or in the paranormal world. Um, as a businessman, like I said, I didn't even believe in this stuff. Since becoming associated with the ranch, um, as more and more things have happened on the ranch, then obviously I, it's led me to reach out and start looking at, um, you know, our, do do they see these things in other places? I think the Tic Tacs is a very pretty visible one that's come to light recently with the Pentagon releasing the Tic Tac videos and finally admitting that, yes, uh, we're, we're encountering these things. We're not sure what they are. Um, and so in doing that, I've studied a little bit. I'm, I will, I am far from calling myself an expert on any of it. I have, I know just enough to make me dangerous. And, uh, but I am, I am learning more and I am studying more about it and trying to get myself better versed in 
what people are seeing in other places. And so then it can help me better identify what we're seeing on the ranch. Awesome. Uh, Stephen's follow-up question, I suppose, is really going to push for how much you want to answer this. And it's absolutely, no doubt, going to be more of a, a guess or assessment on your part. What do you think is buried under the ranch? Um, all I will say with that is I'm not sure. But the longer that I'm there and the more the more that I see, um, the more open-minded I am to the possibility that there is indeed something below the ranch. And um, uh, I can't help but think that um, that if there is something under there, maybe it's of ancient um, origin, some type of uh, piece of advanced technology, some type of AI. Um, what we deal with on the ranch, it it seems to have an intelligence. I will tell you, um, I could spend an hour here telling you of specific circumstances when we've had our equipment toyed with, and I'm going to use the word toyed, uh, cameras turned on and off at precisely the exact same moment that we're picking up anomalies. Uh, it just so happens that it happens to be the camera that would have recorded that or the, the instrumentation that would have picked that up. We've seen this enough that it uh, the only way that my brain can come up with a logical explanation is that there is an intelligence to whatever it is at Skinwalker Ranch and that it is the cat, we are the mouse, and uh, we're being toyed with. So as far as what's being buried underneath, uh, I'm, I'm very open-minded now. I would have laughed at that idea just even two years ago. And today I would say I'm very open-minded to the fact that there possibly could be something buried under the ranch. And if there is, I would say it's some type of source of intelligence, uh, artificial or, or technology. I don't know, but that's my guess. Awesome. I think Travis does a bit of a line tracing, doesn't he, on the show? And I don't know if this was more for dramatic effect, but it definitely, if you were going to draw a type of UFO, I'm sure in your top five shapes of uh, alien spacecraft, that would have came out. Um, but again, it is based on si seismology, is that the right term? And kind of sending signals under the ground and kind of picking it back up. So so yeah, that, no, that's pretty interesting. Can I just ask slightly on topic of what you've you've said, but this is a question for myself before I go back to listener questions. Has Brandon ever had any meetings with uh, Lou Elizondo or Tom DeLong or anyone at Two of the Stars that you know of? Not that I know of, no. Um, and just, Brandon, oh, he probably would have told me if he had okay cool that that would be good that would be a great round table to have i think uh brandon fugo and louise elizondo tom DeLong, and a few others that would be that would be interesting to hear um yes. idris sent in a question regarding the the scene that again you talked about the alpacas it was it drummed up a lot of controversy and you had your own issues with that the the scene in one of the last episodes with the the death of the the cattle or the cow um it's very much tied in on that episode that there's a, a UFO in the sky, the cattle's died, an expert veterinarian comes in and he basically says there's been a massive stress that's came on. That stress-induced pneumonia, I believe, is what he says has killed the cattle. Uh, but there's no getting away from whether it's the editing or what you guys wanted it to be. The, the inclination is that that UFO above the cattle had something to do with it dying. What were your thoughts on that scene and incident? And do you think it was a true reflection of what happened? 
Um, yeah, so the the official determination from the vet was that it was rapid onset stress induced pneumonia. Um, he could tell from so he was showing us when he was doing the neocropsy that um, if if it was something that had built up over time, there's scar tissue that builds up in the lungs. And there was none of that. And so he said it had to happen. It had to have happened very rapidly. And it was stress induced pneumonia. So the cow got stressed and it happened really recently. And uh, so <clears throat> that's and you know what? Here's the thing. This is the tough thing about the ranch is there's a million things that happen. So cows die every day on ranches. That's cows get pneumonia every day and they die. There's nothing strange about a cow getting pneumonia and dying. That's just part of ranching. Um, but then on the other hand, you have to start saying, okay, that's, that's the current train of thought, but what stressed the cow? What was it that made that cow get stressed enough that it caught pneumonia? Um, and other stress induced pneumonias of other ranchers, we say, oh, that happens all the time. Well, maybe we need to look a little closer and say, why does that happen all the time? Are, are there RF signals they're picking that their bodies are susceptible to that's stressing them and causing that? Like, why are we seeing this? Sometimes things become so normal that we just accept that's just the way it is. That's just life. And maybe sometimes we need to question the, you know, question the answers, question the questions. And, and so because it is on the ranch, then that is naturally our question. Was this just a regular death and nothing strange about it? Or was there more to it? So when we start going back through the footage, um, and this is anytime we like with this cow, we're going to go back and look at all the data that we have available to us leading up to this point. And see if we can figure out and understand what stressed that cow. If it's that a dog was out there chasing it, well, that explains it. There's nothing strange about that. Um, so as we're looking at this footage, there's this object up in the sky. Now, the reason why that object, I think, uh, merits further investigation is for two things. You could have a fly literally walking across the lens of your camera that could look identical to that. We've seen it a million times. Um, with our cameras, it's really hard to gauge depth perception. How far away was that object? This particular object, at one point during the during the video, it appears, and and they, you know, Eric's still doing further post processing, but it appears to us that the object disappears behind the tree branch and then comes out the other side. That's important because a fly would be in front of the tree branch, not behind it. Well, why then that takes it to the next step and said, and you know, if we can prove absolutely that that's what happened is it went behind the tree. That gives us an idea on distance for the object to, to look that big in the camera and be, and, and, at least be the distance of the trees, we now can start taking measurements that tell us the size of that craft. And the size of that craft, if it's a fly flying one inch away from the screen, 
that explains why it looks like it's going 10,000 miles an hour. You know, in two frames, it's gone. Well, it only went two inches. It was nothing. But if you're talking about a distance out there beyond the trees and it covered that amount of ground, now we could triangulate and we can see that that for it to go that amount of ground, you know, it'd be going like a thousand miles an hour. I don't know of a drone or a helicopter that can go that fast. So that's kind of our thinking on this particular object. The fact that it is above the cow and, you know, in looking at it, there again, we can't be certain, but it does look like the cow's reactions while it's on the ground seem to be corresponding with the movement of this craft. So that that is actually, it's, it's not far from what we were seeing. And um, I'm sure that we got a few head movements and nods and some music in there to... Uh, add to it but uh it actually when we went back started looking at the footage like that was you know i think that was edited pretty accurately particularly if if it's right what you say about brandon being the character he is in general that he was particularly animated during the scene with linda moulton howe and travis and so yeah no that that's a great answer that's That's brandon (laughs) that sounds like that could be a catchphrase on the second season if brandon's in it more that's brandon um, so a couple more listener questions. I've got Dan asking, how are your injuries now? Anything Has anything happened regarding your head injury since season one wrapped up? And he also says he's glad that you're well. Well, thank you for your concern. And uh, I have not had any reoccurrences since the one that we saw in episode two. Um, thank goodness. And uh, other than that, like I say, I've, I'm in good health. Um, I, do, I do have several... It's interesting, like my head is still very tender in uh, in that particular spot where it started. So uh, this my injury happened March of March fourth of twenty seventeen, and uh, here it is twenty twenty twenty, and uh, three years later, like my the back of my head is still tender to the touch, um, and I still get weird sensations in my uh, inside my head and my scalp that uh have i didn't have them before i've only had them since my injury so there are a few minor things but overall i'm healthy i feel good um haven't had any more reoccurrences since that little one that we saw in episode two when we were out camping no awesome um it also asks you have spoke uh you spoke in the last episode and you've mentioned on on the show as well that uh, strange events have happened at home and they persist to the present day do you care to share any particular stories or details of what seems to have followed you from the ranch to your own your own property? Yeah, um, I will just say that since I started working at the ranch, um, we've had some we've had some not so scary things happen, and we've had some some outright terrifying things that have happened. My son just a couple of weeks ago, my oldest son, he's fifteen. Uh, you know, my kids think it's cool that I'm on TV. You know, I mean, there's a lot of perks that come being come with the ranch. We were able to go fly in Brandon's helicopter. And, you know, there's some cool things like that that my kids really enjoy and think it's cool that dad's involved with this project. But that being said, you know, my my oldest son came to me just two or three weeks ago and just said, um, you know, you you still feel like it's worth it, dad. Um, you, you know, you you see what's going on here at home. And uh do you, do you feel like it's still worth it? And 
it was a it was a valid question. Um, as far as specific instances, I'll I'll refer him to my Twitter feed. If you go to my Twitter feed and I, I post it. Uh, a, a little video and an explanation about a time that happened with my car. And uh, the reason why I'm hesitant to share things that go on at my house is um, I shared this particular incident about my car and the windows rolling down. Um, it's no different than the rest of the million UFO stories we've been told in the fact that um, in order for you to accept it, you have to overlook a lot of, um, for example, my windows rolled down and my camera, the, the specific camera, my surveillance system at my house, before the windows go down, it shuts itself off. None of the other seven or the other, yeah, the other seven cameras that are on the system work beautifully, never even so much as flickered. And yet the one on the front of my house facing this car goes off for a couple of minutes. There's no way for people would have like for this to be significant. People have to take me at my word that I didn't go upstairs and turn that camera off, that I didn't just use the key fob and roll the windows down, um, that that I didn't turn it off or walk outside. Like there's a lot of holes here that I'm expecting people to believe, and and the, and the truth is I don't expect them to believe. I'm simply just throwing an experience out there and saying. This is what's taken place, and as far as being able to prove it, well, I can't prove that my key fob was on my dresser the whole time or my, my little nightstand. I can't prove that I didn't go upstairs and turn that camera off. Um, and so because of that, I also can't prove that it happened the exact way it did. Um, all I know is I came home from the ranch. It's a cold morning. It's 11 below – 11 – Fahrenheit below zero um, here in Roosevelt. My windows are rolled up. I pull in. I come in the house. Um, my key fob, I only have one key fob to my car. And I, I set it down. I was actually showering and getting ready. That's how I, like, I know for a fact I didn't have the key fob in my pocket because I didn't have, I, w I was showering and getting ready. And um, my son comes and knocks on my bedroom door and says, Dad, your, your windows are all down in your car the heck well so i go outside and sure enough the windows are all down i try to roll them up i can't roll them up so i have to run in the house grab my key fob run out there roll them up and uh i immediately go upstairs to my camera system to look and see how the heck my windows rolled themselves down and lo and behold that one camera facing my car went down for three minutes now i think it was I think it was a three-minute time of period that it went down. Um, now, Eric helped me get into the log of my camera system, which shows every time it's been logged into, it shows when it's been given a command to stop recording. It, it logs all of this stuff. There were no – nobody logged into the system. It would probably be a very easy system to hack. I don't, I'm not saying it's very secure, but nobody logged into it. There were no commands given to that camera to shut off. Um, it just decided to quit working for three minutes, the same three minutes that these windows rolled themselves down. My car does have – and I learned this from the viewers on Twitter. I appreciate it. Like I didn't know this, but my key fob, if I hold the unlock button long enough, 
the windows will roll themselves down. It's a, so it's a feature that is built into the car. It is made to do that. I didn't know it was there when I put it on Twitter. So I'm grateful for the viewers that or the, you know, the Twitter followers that bring that to my attention. Um, it explains part of the mystery, but I didn't have the key fob on me. So I know for a fact, like there was no way that key fob button got pushed and rolled those windows down. But then it brings it back. What What is it that we see on the ranch all the time? It's the electromagnetic radiation that we're picking up, these radio frequencies. Well, that's all the key fob is, is a radio frequency to the car, tells it to do that. And then the camera going down, again, another electronic. So it's possible that whatever, you know, has the ability to, to hit that frequency and make that car do that. That's, that's one example of things that we've seen. Um, we, the list is long and, and I've had some things that have been serious enough that I've had to call the authorities, um, and some things that have terrified my family. And, um, so there's, there's those things that I know are real. And then I tell people there's also the observer effect. I mean, you go buy, go, go buy a white jeep and the next day you realize that 10 of your neighbors have the same white jeep and you didn't notice that the day before right like yeah we yeah. notice those things so before i worked on the ranch who's to say that i didn't have crazy things happening around me but i just was oblivious to it so i try to take that into account and say is it that there's really more crazy things going on at my house or is it simply that i work on the ranch and now i recognize and observe more crazy things. They were there the whole time, but I just didn't notice them. I like, there's all these things you have to weigh out and balance and say, what is it? There are several of these serious things that have taken place that, that I know for a fact, those things didn't happen before my association with the ranch. So there's definitely some aspect or element of it. And then you add in the fact that so many people that have visited the ranch go home and whatever it is, this is their words. It followed them home. You know, the hitchhiker effect. I believe in it completely. Um, I, I believe it's real. But that's that's just me. No, awesome. Uh, Dan also asked, are you a cat or a dog person? I'm a dog person. I got I got two chows. I, I'm, I'm a chow guy. I got a, a white chow and a red chow. Awesome. And not to upset anyone, but that's the only answer to that question anyway. So last question from Andy. Where you mentioned just before there, uh, Thomas, about the Tic Tac incident and UFOs. What do you think we are seeing in our skies when it comes to some of these crafts? Would you, would you go as far to say aliens? Is that if it was a personal opinion or? Yeah, I, I I'm I'm starting to think it would have to be extraterrestrial. I I've always been of the mindset that it was just secret projects with governments, um, deep state type stuff. But um, I'm I'm coming more of the mindset that it's some of these uh possibly probably are, are extraterrestrial awesome thank you and thanks to all the listeners for those questions so we'll move on to the quick fire round so thomas before we finish up a bit of a word association here what i've done for this one is um, i've got a few different names i've got the cast on here as well and if you want to just give us a quick one word or a few words on each or you can expand your answers it's absolutely fine so the first one is Dragon Brian Arnold. Uh, good guy. Brandon Fugel. Um, boy. 
undescribable maybe it's hard to it's hard to describe brandon in one word he's a incredible human being travis taylor uh travis is a fun guy to be around eric bard uh smartest guy i've ever met jim stagala uh so with jim uh so jim for me is uh you know i have a i'm grateful to jim jim's my security blanket because he's kind of the when I say security blanket, I just mean he understands my injury probably better than anybody else on the ranch team. So uh, I like having him on the ranch when it comes to my health because I feel like he understands better than anyone else what happened to me, if that makes sense. Yeah. Uh, the next, yeah, awesome. The next one would be at the possibility that are portals on the ranch. Uh, yeah, I think, yes, I, I think it's highly possible. Okay. Um, your own ideas or perception of how consciousness plays into all of this phenomena. I think that cognitive and consciousness is probably the main thing we should be focusing on the ranch. I think it plays huge into it. Matter of fact, I, you ask me, I think it makes up. My personal opinion is that's what we should be spending our time looking at. But, uh, yeah, absolutely huge. Uh, two more. Robert Bigelow. Uh, is this public or private? Um, <laughs> <laughs> he is mysterious. He certainly is. And the last one, I like to end all of my, my guests with the same one, is disclosure and what does skinwalker ranch what is skinwalker ranch's part in disclosure uh yeah disclosure is very important i'm grateful to work on a team we all have the same common goal um and that is disclosure and i know that all the gentlemen that i work with our credibility means everything to us we're not here um personally i don't care about the fame uh I'm definitely not getting rich off of this. At least I haven't seen any of it yet. Um, this is about getting answers. And there are enough smart people in the world that if we try to sell a bunch of lies, we're just going, history is going to show us to be a bunch of fools. And we don't, th that's not what we want. We want to play a part in this. And I think that Skinwalker Ranch has the possibility and a real probability of playing a huge part, being very instrumental in helping us understand the world around us even better than we do now and helping us uh, gain answers to the, as of right now, the unexplained and some of these unseen forces that we uh, coexist with in this world, whether it be other realms or, um, you know, just physics that we, we don't understand yet. And I think Skinwalker Ranch if we're allowed to continue this investigation, um, and the investigation is going to happen whether the cameras roll or not. Brandon's committed to this. It's been happening for three years before the cameras came. It will continue after the cameras go. 
And uh, but I, I believe the ranch has the potential to be one of the greatest assets in, in this space for uh, obtaining the answers that everybody's seeking. So, Thomas, it's been great speaking with you. And just before you go, have you got any final words for the listeners where they can follow you or where they can find you? Yeah, so uh, I appreciate all the listeners. Thank you for watching. Thank you for listening to the podcast. Um, thank you for being engaged. Um, I I love all of our uh, viewers, whether they like us or hate us. Um, I just appreciate the fact that they're spending time with us and that they're engaged in this subject. And uh, they can. I am online. Um, you know, I'm, I'm trying to change. I've been a very private person in the past, so social media has not been my big thing. Um, I'm working on that. So I'm on Facebook um, and uh, I'm on Twitter and I'm on Instagram. So they can search me out, uh, Thomas Winterton, or I think Thomas R. Winterton. I don't remember uh, some of those. But uh, I'll put, they can I'll check put the links in the bio. Okay, yeah. They can check me out online and uh, encourage them to go check out what my wife's doing with the meditation. It's interesting. It goes hand in hand with what we're seeing at the ranch. Some of this quantum cognitive things, um, very much into inner energy. And uh, the results that we're seeing with this meditation is massive. People are getting into a theta state of meditation with her process in 45 to 60 seconds, which is phenomenal. So anyways, encourage people to check that out as well. So do you know something I didn't ask you in the, the body of the show, but I, I really meant to, what does your wife think is happening on the ranch? My wife is extremely intuitive, very gifted. She has the ability to see and hear things that most people cannot um and has been proven correct so many times that uh i don't even question her anymore like it's uh she says that i'll take it to the bank i'll mortgage my house on it um and uh that being said she has asked me to never publicly speak about her views on the ranch so <laughs> you have to say that's gonna have to just stay with me but it's interesting that's a whole nother story for down the line. You you never know when your your wife decides to come out and maybe have her own documentary. So we'll, we'll look forward to that. But Thomas, uh, from me, thank you very much for being on the show. It's, you've been really generous with your time, so I really appreciate it. It's been a pleasure. Thank you for inviting me. Well, I hope you really enjoyed that conversation between myself and Thomas. It was a great chat and he was really, really generous with his time. Again, folks, I just want to remind everyone that the Skinwalker Ranch episode one and two is up on the Patreon site at patreon.com forward slash that UFO podcast. As a thank you for those donating via Patreon and supporting the show, I have released those episodes early as early access exclusives. Episode two, however, does drop into the free feed this week, so keep an eye out for that on Friday sometime. This weekend, I'll be appearing on Andrew Hall's Dead Hand Radio, which is a podcast predominantly about the Cold War. Well, I'll be speaking, of course, about UFOs and UFOs and the link to the Cold War as well. So please check that out when it's available. This weekend, myself and Dan, of course, you may know him has the signal. We'll be recording episode three of the Skinwalker Ranch Watch Along as well. That'll be available on Patreon as an early access exclusive as well. So again, check that out if you can. And just a hello to the new Patreons. 
We've got Fred, Linda and Ashley. Thank you very much for supporting the show over at Patreon. And I hope you enjoyed getting some of your questions answered as well, Ashley, tonight. Thank you very much for that. Again, folks, like, subscribe and review. Don't forget to drop me a message over at Twitter at UFO, UAPAM, on the Facebook page, That UFO Podcast. And we're also on Instagram as well, if you search That UFO Podcast. Coming up the week after next, folks, towards the end of June, I will be interviewing Michael Mazzola, who was the director of the Unacknowledged and Close Encounters of the Fifth Kind Stephen Greer documentary. So that's something to look forward to. The week after that, into the start of July, I do have another guest. They are confirmed. However, I'm still not allowed to announce them just yet due to certain restrictions. But that is one to definitely get excited about. So I look forward to announcing that sooner rather than later, folks. Again, thanks for listening. Keep looking up. You never know what you might see. Thank you.